Here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into a series tonight. But before we do, I have some props over here that I'm going to use because I'm going to kind of tell you my life story. My name's Scott, by the way. I know there's a bunch of new people here. Um, so my name is Scott and uh, hi, hi. Um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to kind of use these props to kind of tell you my life story, okay? Um, August 10th, 1986, I was born. Um, and I was born and I love sports. Does anybody love sports here? Anybody? My whole life, like my whole life, my dad, the reason I was like, all about Dallas Cowboys there for a minute, is my dad uh, got me a Dallas Cowboy pennant when I was three, and that was it, like Dallas Cowboys for life. And so I started playing football until I realized how tiny I was, and then I stopped playing football because I didn't want to die. Um, but I watched football a lot, and I could run fast, so if, if there was not tackling involved, I could play football. But if you're a small guy like me, the sport to play is baseball. Anyone play baseball in here? Um, oh, wow. Yes. Awesome. Man, we got some baseballers. I'm so glad I'm in good company here. Uh, I played baseball for 14 years. Okay, I love the sport of baseball. Uh, I played my whole life, and it's all about the Texas Rangers. See me rocking the double Texas thing here. Anyone see that? No. Um, whatever. You guys are haters. Um, I played baseball my whole life, but uh, even though I was a baseball player, and I, like, was a baseball player and a football player, and, and I didn't really get into basketball much because, again, short people didn't really work too well. Um, and so I didn't really play soccer, but I ran a lot, and I played those sports. But then um, one day I got, uh, I got a skateboard, okay? Is there any skateboarders in the house? Skateboarding is a dying art. It's so sad. Um, I got a skateboard, and my whole life changed. Like, I stopped wearing the hat backwards, and, or, or this way, and I wore it like this. Like, this was super cool back then. Um, like, it was like, oh, that kid must be rebellious. He's got a backwards hat on. Um, and, uh, and then I started wearing hoodies. Um, hoodies were like the thing, but you don't, um, you just wear them like, you wear them unzipped with like a, a white t-shirt. I don't have a white t-shirt on, but like the, the, the cheapest Hanes white t-shirt ever that's probably got some smudges on it because you fall and that means you're good. You know what I mean? So like I would go to the skate park and I'd like be rubbing it all over and be like, okay, yeah, what's up? Oh, you did that rail? Yeah, me too. That's why I look like this, you know. Uh, and then I'm just telling you my life story. This is true. Um, and then I uh, got a dirt bike. Any, any like quad dirt bike people? And then I got a dirt bike, and I, I went from a skater to what I like to call, you may hear me refer to this before, you may hear it, a bro, okay? I was a bro, okay? Um, and when you're a bro, uh, you have to get, like, either Oakleys or Spies, that's how it works, uh, or Dragons. And then you don't wear your hat front way or backwards, you wear it like this. I wore it like this for a while, okay? I, I really did. My wife's over there. This is how she met me right here. You ready for this? What's up, girl? I'll take you on my dirt bike. This is, I swear, I, it doesn't matter. I'm inside. I'm walking through Walmart, and it's 90 degrees outside. I got a hoodie with the hood on and sunglasses. People are like, who is that? Oh, he's just a bro. Don't worry about it. I'll be like, hey, dude, gnarly ride sick. That's my life. I'm serious. And you guys will still see it a little bit, because here's the deal. As of right now, I don't really wear hoodies a lot. Um, I, I've, I've gone to, like, kind of peacoat-looking jackets. I never made the hipster transition. That was a little weird for me. Um, but, uh, but now I kind of rock it all, and you'll still hear me say, dude, that's sick. People will be like, dude, you're like 26. Stop talking like that. And I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I just, you know, it's pretty rad, dude, man, sick. Or I'll go to the skate park, and I'll be like. I used to do this, guys. Don't worry about it. You want to do a kick flip? Yeah, and I'll go do a kick flip, and all the kids are skating. I'm like, he's a poser, dude. Let's go. I'm like, I really used to be legit. I promise you. But I'm old now. Not really. I'm just having a midlife crisis. I'm having a quarter-life crisis right now. I really am. Um, but that's who I am. And here's the question I want to ask tonight. We're going to jump into the series. Uh, high schoolers, it's only high school here. We're all alone, ninth through 12th graders. Who are you? 
Like if I had to walk up to you and say, hey, what would you classify yourself as? Maybe some of you would say, I just love school, man. I'm, I'm like, I have really these big aspirations about going to school, and I'm kind of a bookworm, and that's cool. There was the bookworms when I was a skater or a bro or a sports guy, or maybe you're the sports guy, or maybe you are a, a hipster. Okay, you would never classify yourself as that because then you're not. You know what I mean? That's how it works. Like if you say you're a hipster, just stop. You're not. You failed. You might have the Instagram and the, and the, the, the I don't even know. I was just trying to, Ben, I'm sorry. Uh, I was trying it, but I don't know what you would classify yourself as, but here's what we're doing tonight. We are, 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 I'm going to ask you who you are, because we're going to look at what the Bible says you are, not maybe what you would guess you are or what you would try to be, but what the Bible says you are, because I think a lot of times we try to put up these fronts where we say, oh yeah, like all that was a front, like I was still just me, but because I rode a dirt bike, I needed to have the glasses and the hoodie and the sideways hat, and I'm not saying I was like a super poser, but I thought I had to fit a role. And some of you tonight maybe think you have to fit a role. And I want to look at the Bible as we start this question series. And I want to see, man, what does the Bible say about you? And so, as I said, we started this series called God, I've Got a Question Today. We started at our church. And if you haven't gone to Hope, come after the service right now. There's going to be a service at 630. You've got to come. But we encourage you the rest of these three weeks of the series to come at 9 or 11. Because we want you to hear what Pastor Vance and Pastor Travis are teaching in there. Because what they're teaching in there, we're just piggybacking on. We're talking from their message as if you've heard it, and we're going to talk about it. So uh, you won't be totally out of the loop. I'm going to kind of recap. But here's why we're doing this series. We believe every person has questions. If you're here tonight, and you're like, I don't have any questions about life, man. I got it all figured out. Like, I, I, I like, did the calculations, and my life is figured out. Um, You're mistaken. You might think you have it figured out, but something's going to happen your next year of high school, or something's going to happen in college, where you're going to be like, dude, something doesn't make sense about this life. God, I've got a question. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, God, I've got a question. And here's why we're doing this series is because we, we believe the Bible and our God can handle your tough questions. We believe you can ask any question of God and the Bible can give you some sort of direction to understand. Maybe you can get an answer to that question. And so this morning in our main services and tonight, if you missed it, Pastor Vance wrestled with the question, God, can we really trust the Bible? And I want to kind of give you the footnotes of that sermon so that you can kind of know as we jump into tonight, as we look at what the Bible says about us, first you have to know, why can I trust the Bible? Pastor Vance had an awesome sermon this morning about why we can trust the Bible. All I'm going to give you is three, his three main points. Why, and these aren't on your notes, I don't think, but three points. Why can you trust the Bible? Here's the first one, and you can maybe write it down because it's going to be on the screen. The first one, it is we believe, uh, we know um, you can trust the Bible because it is the most reliable collection of ancient writings ever. You're like, dude, that's a big claim. I know. I'm about to prove it to you. The Bible is the most reliable collection of ancient writings ever. Here's what we mean by ancient writing. Anything that's really old that people put their trust in and say, this is right. The Bible is the most reliable. Let me give you some statistics real quick as we jump in. Who's ever heard of Plato? Not Plato like you play with a kid. Plato. Anybody? Okay, man, you guys are in high school. This is crazy. You guys haven't heard of Plato? Let me give you one sentence uh, or one story of my first uh, real um, head-on collision with Plato. Okay, I say Plato really weird because I want you guys to know I'm not talking about, like, the weird clay stuff. Um, I went to college, UNLV, my first year uh, in Philosophy 101, okay? This old lady walks in the room, and she writes Plato on the board, really big, huge. And I was like, this is how college is. They don't even say hi to you. Okay, cool. She wrote Plato on the board really, really big, and she said, my entire goal this class is to show you that everything that man said is true. If you're a Christian here tonight, or today, it was like a day class. If you're a Christian here today, he has some very difficult things to say about your Christianity. I'm going to prove you wrong. 
If you believe anything other than what Plato says, I want to show you in this philosophy class that he's a philosopher among philosophers, and you guys will believe what he says. And I'm sitting there, I've been a Christian for like a year, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this lady's evil. Because, she, I mean, she was like, it was like she was old and stuff, and when she looked at you, it was like, you know what I mean? Plato's loved by a lot of people. A lot of philosophers love Plato. He's got, he got some cool writing and stuff. There is only seven, that means Bryce can count how many. My son Bryce is almost three. He can count how many existing copies we have of Plato's work. And there's ladies like my philosophy 101 teacher at UNLV that says, everything that guy believes or says, I believe. Seven, literally seven copies of what he wrote. And people believe him. Julius Caesar, you guys all heard Julius Caesar. There's only 10 existing copies of what Julius Caesar wrote. And we take that stuff as fact, man. It's Julius Caesar. It's the Romans. I mean, it's the whole deal. Homer's Iliad. We get a little bigger here. 643 copies exist of Homer's Iliad. So it's like, okay, wow, you went from seven in Plato, and a lot of people believe him, and, t- and then Julius Caesar, a lot of people believe him, 10. And then 643, we take Homer's Iliad. Man, we, we trust that. We, we read that. We trust it. But the New Testament of the Bible, here's, here's why I'm showing you that this is the most reliable ancient writing we have. The New Testament has over 24,000 existing copies of the New Testament. Why do I say that? To brag? No, not necessarily. I'm saying that to say when we as Christians say we believe the Bible, you don't have to feel stupid like the philosophy teacher made, us, made me think. That she may love Plato, and that's cool. She may try to convince me for an entire semester that Plato's got it going on. But I can know you only have seven existing copies. You can put all your hope and your faith in this Plato guy. But I have 24,000, more more than 24,000 existing copies that show that what is written in the New Testament, what is written in God's Word is true. Would you believe the one who has seven or 24,000? Nobody would say, oh, I believe seven. It's the most reliable copy of uh, a collection of ancient writings. Secondly, it is historically accurate. I'll breeze through these. Second one is we believe we could trust the Bible because it is historically accurate. There's things called archaeologists. They dig stuff up. Seems like a pretty fun job. There's been over 23,000 archaeological discoveries that when they dig it up, they're like, okay, what is this? What is this? What is this? They dig it up. Maybe it's a huge thing or a small thing. 23,000 times they go, oh, that's from the Bible. We read that in, uh, in this chapter, this verse, that's, that's that, that's that guy's name, or that's that guy's story, or that's that guy's, you know, that's that guy's cup, or that's that guy's whatever. 23,000 times people have dug stuff up and said, oh, that comes from the Bible. Not only is it historically, is it the most um, reliable collection of ancient writings, because there's so many of them, but it's historically accurate. Second, or third one is, it comes from God. And this is the one people go, Psh, how do you know that, man? You say it comes from God. How do you know it comes from God? How do you know somebody just didn't get in the room and write it? The religion of Islam, their holy book that they look at is the Quran. The Quran was written by their prophet Muhammad. They believe Muhammad sat at one place at one time, received this message from God, wrote it down, and now thousands and millions and millions of Muslims around the world say this is our holy book, the Quran, from God, and it was written by one man at one time. The Book of Mormon. Maybe you guys have some Mormon friends. I have some Mormon friends. The Book of Mormon, the book that they also include as scripture, they have the Bible, then they also include this as, include this as scripture, is written by one man, Joseph Smith, at one time. He believes he got this message from God, and he wrote down the Book of Mormon in one message, one time, and that's the Book of Mormon. And people all over the world and all over our city and all over our country say that's our book of faith. We believe that is what God says to us. But the Bible was written in 66 different books in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. 
on three continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, over 40 different people wrote it, and it spans over 1,500 years. Meaning this, I know it's like, well, it's like school. Meaning this, nobody got in a room and said, let's make this awesome fairy tale up that people are going to believe for thousands of years. Because one guy lived A, one guy lived 15,000 later, or 1,500 years later in B. That doesn't work. And they speak different languages, they live on different continents. And if you read this Bible, not only is it the most ancient, uh, reliable ancient collecting of writings ever, it also stands the test of time through historical discoveries, but also it's literally impossible for one guy to sit down or a group of people to sit down and, and plan this thing out. They would all work and it would all match up to each other. The Bible we can trust. So here's what I want to do tonight real quick, is I want to look, we can trust the Bible. I think maybe, maybe you didn't believe me, man, go listen to Vance. He does that, what I just did for 55 minutes and just brings the rain the entire time. Maybe you're not on board yet with the Bible, but I, I challenge you to go listen to Vance. I challenge you to do some study on your own. I promise you this book stands the test of everything you could throw at it. C.S. Lewis is an atheist that said, I want to prove Christianity wrong. After he started reading the Bible and saying, is this really real, he becomes a Christian. Josh McDowell, same thing. And maybe you're here tonight. I challenge you to do the same thing. He can handle your questions. The God that we're talking about tonight, the God that Ben and those guys were singing about, we can, he can handle our questions. So I challenge you to ask him. But tonight, for the curious people, I want to try to answer the question, we can trust the Bible, so what does it say about me? What does it say about me? What does it say about you? That's fine, we can trust it, but we can kind of leave that up here high and lofty, and it's this really cool book that's like really from God. But what does it say about you? How does it put the finger in your life and say, no, this is about you? And that's why I brought up, who are you? Because I think we can put up a lot of fronts sometimes. Maybe it's just me. We can put up a lot of fronts sometimes where I walk into a room and I know who I'm walking into a room with and I can fake it real well. Whether I'm going to the skate park and I'm going to try to act like a skater or I'm going to the dirt bike course and I'm going to act like a dirt bike. Yeah, I can jump that double. Oh, yeah, cool. Oh, man, I'm not feeling too good right now. I'm not going to do it. But I just put up this front so I look cool and I'm not rejected. We don't all do that necessarily all the time, but we've done it. Well, you walk into a room and you try to put up this front. Well, here's the good news about tonight is there's no fronts about what we're going to learn. As high school students in Las Vegas, you don't have to try to put up a front in front of God. The Bible already says who you are. We're going to look at some things that the Bible says. You don't have to try to fake it. This is what and who you are. So if you have your Bible tonight, and I encourage you to bring your Bible to refuge, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen, but hopefully you bring your Bible. I want you to bring it, guys. I want you to start marketing, and I want you to kind of, maybe you got notes on your, on your version app. Whatever you do, um, we want you to start kind of digging in, your, in God's word of your own instead of just on the screen. But we always put it on the screen for you anyways. Um, here's what it says. Here's what the Bible says about you. You ready? It's kind of been this built-up thing. Hopefully I built it up enough. Here's what the Bible says about you in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Maybe you're an artist in the room or you take pictures or whatever you might be, but it says we are God's masterpiece. Here's what we mean. And we said this at Refuge. Micah preached a great sermon a couple years ago on this. Here's what we mean by that. God made you as his masterpiece and hung you on the wall on display for the rest of the world to see. It's not one of these things like when Bryce brings me pictures and he just scribbled. He didn't give it, you know, he didn't care what was going on. He's just like, "Ah, I don't care. I'm going to give this to my dad. God spent time. God crafted you. You are his masterpiece. And we're going to kind of unpack that here in a minute. But maybe you've never heard that before. 
Now, you walked in here with lots of doubt, confusion, insecurity, stuff going on in your brain you don't understand. And you come and you're like, I didn't know they were asking questions to God in this series. This is pretty cool. God, I've got a question. Why is my life so jacked up? We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. God, I've got a question. Why do I feel so horrible about myself when I look in the mirror? Hopefully you're encouraged by Ephesians 2.10 when it says you, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going to do tomorrow, no matter what you did last night, you are God's masterpiece. He's hung you on a wall of this world and you're on display for the rest of the world to see. And God says, that's mine. You are my masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus so you can do good works that he planned for us long ago. So we're going to look at um, a couple of things tonight on things we are. But before we do, um, how many people have ever had a job? Raise your hand. Jobs, okay. How many people have ever had a teacher? Raise your hand. Wow, really? Can we, can we raise hands on that? Okay. I don't have teachers. I just go to school and sit by myself all the time. I'm going to sit here. I know some of you guys can't see me. Um, I had a job one time. Uh, I've had a few, actually. <laughs> Not once upon a time. Uh, one was at Tony's Pizza. I made pizza. Okay, and this is my boss desk, in case you haven't tell. This is my briefcase here. It's super cool. It's actually Ben's. Uh, I got a stamper. Um, but here's, what we've, here's how we view God a lot. And again, you would never say this. You would never say, yes, this is exactly how I view God. But we view God like a, a boss or a teacher. And we don't say it, but I'm going to stand up again because I can't sit. Uh, we, we don't say it, but we, we go through life and we go, oh, man. Like when I was at Tony's Pizza and I'm making the pizza right here and I'm like, go. And I look and my boss is in the room. I'm like, oh, dude, am I putting enough sauce? Did I put enough cheese and mushrooms and black olives? And I'm always like all tensed up. And some of us sometimes, whether you're a Christian or not, maybe sometimes you just kind of feel, ah, what if somebody's watching me? What, what if there is a God? What if there is, what if there is this thing that made the earth? Sometimes we, we look at him like a big boss at a desk, or we look at him like a big teacher, and maybe you, maybe you uh, go, I know I had, uh, I had evaluations as an as a employee, or maybe you have like evaluations, your teacher says, come in before school, I want to talk to you, and we come, and here's what that is, there's no relationship involved, here's what you do, they go and they say, pass, fail, you can do better. Almost, but not quite. You're fired. And that's how we view God. We view God as a boss at a desk. We come up only when we need something, only when we need to be evaluated, only when we feel bad about ourselves, only when we need help or something. And we view God as a big God at a desk or a big teacher at a desk, big boss, as a stamper. He says, you need to work on that more. I I deserve more. Or you can do better than that. Or you're doing all right, but you can still do a little, you can try a little harder. Or you didn't do that one thing last week with, with, you know, with your friends. You didn't do that good enough. And we view God as this big jerk at a desk. And all he does is kind of evaluate our lives over and over and again. And then one day we're going to get to God when, we're, when, we're, when we die. We're going to get to God, and it's going to be kind of the ultimate judge. We're going to get that pass, or we're going to get that fail button. And some of you guys walk through life like that. And so I want to look at the Bible for a few minutes, and we want to look. That is not the God of the Bible. The Bible that we can trust, that stands the test of time, the Bible that we know is the most historically accurate book there is, that's not, what, that's not the God that it paints. That's not the God that it speaks of. So if you're taking notes, here's the first blank. Tonight, as we look at the Bible, I want to show you four things that you are, according to the Bible. The first one is you are God-designed. You are God-designed. I love Genesis chapter 1, 26 verses in the Bible. We hear about how we were made by God. 
you are God designed. No matter who you are, by the way, this is not just Christians. Like, oh man, this is church, talking about Christians. I'm talking about any person that has breath in their lungs that is living on this planet right now is God designed. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 1. The first people were made. Here's what it says. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 27 says, God created them, man man his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So here's what it says, not only are you God designed, but you're God designed after God. You are in the image of God designed. He hangs you up and he says, that is mine, that is my piece of art, it's designed after me. You're not by a whim, not by accident. God didn't just say, oh, man, I need to, you know, I, I take pictures a lot. Like on my iPhone, I'm not a photographer, but I take pictures a lot. And like, you know, when you're like, take a picture and you want to post it to Instagram, but you're like, oh, man, that's blurry. That sucks. Delete. You know what I mean? God never made any blurry pictures. Not for you, not for your best friend, not for the person that's going through. Now, God's pictures, God's masterpieces, they're all exactly how he wanted them. You are God-designed. The Bible says his autograph, like in the paintings on the right-hand corner, his autograph is all over you. God designed you. And I love reading, if you're feeling discouraged tonight, and maybe you're just like, man, that's not how I feel. I want to read you a passage of scripture real quick as we jump into the next one. But Psalm 139, it talks about how intricately made and designed you were by this God we're talking about. No matter where you stand, whether you hate him, you don't believe in him, or you love him, God says, my autograph is on your soul. Everything about you was made by me. In Psalm 139, here's what it says, starting in verse 13. It's going to be on the screen. For you formed my inward parts. This is talking about God. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I'm talking like he spent time, and it wasn't just... God planted you inside of your mother, and he had you planned in this world with a purpose from the foundation of the world. You are not an accident tonight. You are not a whim. You are not an uh uh-oh, an oops. No matter where you stand with God tonight. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when I was yet there was none, when yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. God had every single day of your life mapped out and, and in his view before you ever thought of. And some of you might need that tonight. Like, dude, I don't feel that way. That's okay. Sometimes we don't always feel stuff that's true. You are God designed, his masterpiece. Second thing is you are purpose intended. Not only are you God-designed, you are designed by the God of the universe, intricately woven in your mother's womb, but you are purpose-intended. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 when it says good things that he planned for us long ago. Man, he had a plan for your life. He didn't just make you and say, there you go, go into the world, hope you have a good life. That's where kind of the art illustration loses it. Because if, when I make a piece of art, I'm not an artist, but if you were, you hang it on the wall and then you kind of forget about it. That's not God. God made you on the wall, but he continues to take it down. He continues to work, and he continues to plan. He gives you a purpose, and he continues to move. You are God-designed. You are purpose-intended. And some of you don't feel that way. Some of you feel unnecessary. Maybe somebody in your life has looked you straight in the face and said, you don't matter. You don't matter. You're worthless. God says you do matter. 
and I have huge plans for your life. And only when we align ourselves with that God and we look him in the eyes and we see, okay, God, wow, I want to I know those plans because right now I'm feeling pretty worthless. Only then can we really take God at his word and actually start walking in those plans and purposes. And that's what we desire for you. That's what the Bible says about you. You are God-designed. You are purpose-intended. Thirdly, you are lavishly loved. That's a mouthful right there. You are lavishly loved. In Ephesians 2, it says you were created in Christ anew. Because here's the reality. The Bible is a beautiful book of redemption. Because here's the redemption from what, you say. What's the redemption from? The redemption is soon after the story where God created Adam and Eve, there was a huge void that took place. A huge barrier that stopped us from having this relationship with God. It's called sin. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and you and I inherit that sin automatically. It's just the world we live in. The second we're born, I always like to say it. My daughter Avery is like the cutest thing ever. She's just turned a year old. She was born into this world a sinner, guilty before God. That's what the Bible teaches. This historically accurate book that we know is true. The Bible teaches that from birth, you and I were guilty before God. That's why a lot of us view God like a boss, because there's no relationship. He just sits here, and he judges you, after judges you, after judges you. And you feel like, what do I have left? Man, all I do is go to this God and get judgment, because there's no relationship, because there's this huge void in between you and God, this huge canyon in between you and God called sin. I'm not trying to tell you like the guys with the picket signs. I'm trying to tell you in a loving way, this God, not only did he, did, he, did he create you and designed you, but he also did something to redeem you. He also did something to break this, this huge barrier, this big void. See, the story of the gospel is that the same God that designed you and has a purpose for you, he saw you helpless and hopeless. And God said, I'm going to do something about this. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for your sins. I'm talking... Obviously, every sin he died for was your future sin because you weren't around in, you know, zero A.D., okay? You weren't around for the crucifixion. And so every sin that he hung on the cross for was your future sin and my future sin. And so this God hangs on a cross. Why? Because you are lavishly loved. The Bible talks about him buying us back from sin, buying us back. That's the, that's the issue of redemption. To redeem something, you buy it back. That's how you're lavishly loved tonight. Jesus restores the relationship. And that's why we have this table over here. We got to stop viewing God like a boss at a desk. And we got to start viewing God like this. Where you and God sit down and you have a relationship. This is very different than that. This is very, very different than God judging after God judging after God judging. This is you and God in a relationship. Just like you sit down with coffee or you sit down to have dinner with somebody, you interact with them, you talk with them. That's the relationship God desires for every person in this room. And students don't feel that way. Students feel like, man, you don't know my life. God does. You don't know what I've done. God does. You don't know what I'm about to do. You don't either, but God does. And even still, he invites you to his table because you are lavishly loved. You are God-designed, purpose-intended, and lavishly loved. And God says, I don't care what you've done or where you've been. I want you to come to this table, and I want you to have a relationship with me because I love you that much. I did not create you to wander around this world looking for significance and all these other things. You'll never find it. I designed you because I love you, and I want a purpose for your life. And some of you didn't know that. Some of you guys had no clue that, the, that God loved you that much. You might have heard it. You might have heard Christmas stories. 
But I'm talking to you specifically, knowing everything you know about yourself, knowing everything you think, everything you walk through. You didn't know that. The last one tonight, not only are you God-designed, you are purpose-intended, you are lavishly loved, but you are a child of the king of the universe. And this one's short. Here's what I'm saying to you people. Don't let what's being talked about tonight just go away. Because you might say, yeah, it's cool. Obviously, man, you can trust the Bible because you can't really deny that at this point. Man, that's cool that God designed me. I'm cool with that. I know he's got a purpose for me, but I got a purpose for me, man. My purpose is super good. Like, I got plans. I'm going to college. I'm doing this thing. I, I, I don't really care about God's plan. And that's why we added this one. You are a child of the king of the universe because here's what I want for my kids. And I'm not God. I'm just a dude who has a couple kids that he really loves. I want the best for my kid no matter what. I'll sacrifice a ton so that my kids have the best. And God, infinitely more, he will not stop. He will be relentlessly pursuing you. And some of you guys just have to stop and turn around tonight. Stop running from the God who designed you, gave you a purpose, loved you so much to die on the cross for your sins. Stop running. Maybe tonight you were brought by a friend, or maybe tonight you're here, and you're like, man, I don't really know why I'm here, and now you're kind of getting to know why you're here. You're here tonight because God wants to say to you he loves you, and he's chasing you relentlessly, and he just wants you to stop and turn around. And maybe that tonight is that moment for some of you. You are God-designed. You have a purpose for your life that's way better than you could ever think of your own. God lavishly loves you enough to take you from the boss God to the relational God and enter a relationship with you by dying on the cross for your sins. And, he's your, and you're his child. And he loves you enough to keep letting you know that. Keep giving you another breath. Keep giving you more awesome stuff in your life. Why? So you can have just a cool life you built up yourself? No. So that he can continue to show you, I'm God and I love you. And I'm relentlessly pursuing a relationship with you. Stop running turn around. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to come up as we finish up tonight. And as they load, I just want everyone to do me a favor and bow your heads tonight. Because it would be very foolish, I believe, for me to tonight after we really just give the gospel. That's what that was. The gospel message, the good news. The good news is that you walked in here thinking a whole lot about God that's not true. And the good news is that God's a really good God that did a lot for you and me. Just go ahead and bow your heads. People are kind of looking around. Go ahead and bow your heads for me. I want to give you an opportunity to respond tonight. In a moment like this, eight years ago, I responded and I said, man, I don't know a lot about God yet, but what I just heard, I want. And I want that relationship. So I want to give you guys an opportunity to say, man, I want that relationship. So if you want to enter a relationship with God, it's that easy. You just say, God, yes. Yes, God. Thank you that I don't have to look at you as a teacher or a boss, but I can look at you across the table in a relationship, and I can do life with you. I can talk to you when life sucks. I can talk to you when life is good. I can really begin to open up to somebody finally in my life, and it's the God who rescued me and the God who made me and the God who put purpose in my life. So if you want to enter a relationship with that God, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to pray this. Not out loud, just in your heart. Only God would know you're saying this. I want you to say, God, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for designing me, for 
giving me a purpose, for loving me the way you love me. God, thank you that I am your child. I turn to you now. I give my life to you. I give you control. I love you, Jesus. Say that to him.